Hi everyone, today we are covering Genesis 1. It begins with verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God, that's the message of Genesis. You know your origin, your mom and dad, your parents, but that's not really our ultimate origin. Our origin is traced all the way back to God, the author of life. And we need to start there because that has implications on how we live, who we primarily relate to, and whose authority we ultimately subject our life to. So the fact that our origin begins with God, and therefore He has authority and rule over all of creation, including dominion over our lives, is very significant. This is the basis out of how we are to relate to Him. He is our ultimate authority, and He has exhibited His divine authority by simply speaking things into existence. Genesis 1 is creation by God out of nothing. He speaks realities. Let there be and there is. So the pattern of Genesis 1 is that God creates spaces. First three days. The second set of three days, he fills those spaces and the seventh day is unique. So Genesis 1 is a poetic assertion, a glorious hymn of his creation. So by the beginning of chapter 2, it marks the completion of all his creative activity. Now this is such an awesome display of his power. Who can wield such power to speak and it is? It's 100% efficiency, right? I think we think uh, that because he is God, of course, but we need to pause and consider who is this God who has this power? Remember, Genesis 1 would have served as a polemic against all other divine entities. What God is doing here in chapter 1 wouldn't be remarkable unless you studied the creation myths in the ancient world. Most of the ancient world believed that nature was sacred, that nature was a she or he, that it writhes and moves. And that is why, and this is why, intellectual historians locate the origin of science in the Christian worldview. Because only here do you get this idea that nature is an it. Notice that the sun and moon created on the fourth day, and yet there is day and evening the first day. How can that be? Well, throughout the ancient world, people worshipped the sun and the moon because they could see that those uh, things govern life on earth, the rains and the tides. Well, the Genesis account says these things, the sun and the moon, are just merely functional. So the sun and moon creation is deliberately delayed, as if God was saying, I need some lamps, a greater light. Oh, sun, let's go hang it up. It's this functional idea. So the sun and the moon and the stars are not deities, not things that govern your destinies. They're just it. They're just objects. And in so doing, what is Genesis trying to tell us? There is God and he is not a part of nature. If the origin of the universe, if it is physical, what is prior? What caused that? It would have to be a non-physical entity, a personality. And that's all that Genesis 1 is asserting. More basic to matter and the cosmos is personality. It's God's will. So chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 contain the premise of all of the biblical faith. Creation is understood as God's work, which God has begun and continues. Also notice in Genesis 1, God's inherent order or orderliness. From chaos, he creates order. There is a sequence in which things are created from stuff to primitive organisms to more and more complex organisms. It really coheres with what we know about from origin sciences. So from verses uh, 3 through 25, it covers five days of creation. The structure of these verses are very important because it bears a part of the message of orderliness. It's, first of all, symmetrical. It moves in a careful sequence. Notice, like time, there was evening and morning. Command, God said, let there be. Execution, and it was so. Assessment, God saw that it was good. And then it repeats, time, 
there was evening and morning. And so there is a clear orderliness here. And even the timestamps itself show the order of the created world. And so the idea of orderliness gives, gave encouragement for people to study it. Study our, our world, expecting that there would be regularity. Einstein said that the thing that is most incomprehensible about the universe is that it should be comprehensible to us. We can look at the universe and that we can actually comprehend it, study it, understand its laws. And then there is a rhetorical pattern of command and execution. God summons and it happens exactly as he commands. In other words, the design of the world is not autonomous like a script or accidental. It is based upon the will of God. So creation is what it is because God commands it, but the command is not authoritarian. It's rather let be. God gives permission for creation to be. The appearance of creation is a glad act of embrace of God's permission. Now, I wanted to point out this word, separate. God does all this separation in his creation. He separates the water from above and below. In other words, he gives them boundaries and he says, thus far you shall come and no further. So he creates these boundaries and then he fills them with fish and animals. And as the chapter end, um, the kind of things that God says is like teeming or swarming or multiplying, filling the waters. After God creates man, there is a sense of huge blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, and I, I give you. So there is this sense of bounty and abundance. So is there a relationship between this, between the act of defining or bounding? And if you accept what seems to be a boundary, then what follows is that there is abundance and richness. And God says, I give you all of these things. He desires our life to take on this richness. So one thing is very clear as I was doing DT, that God is a God of abundance. Multiply, fill the earth. He doesn't say, stop laughing, sit down in the corner, be quiet like a stressed out teacher. God creates all colors and tastes and pleasures. And yet, isn't it interesting that we often think of God with rules and boundaries and we think, uh, not God as no boundaries and therefore richness. Now, is it really? We need to question that. Are we really understanding life when we make these types of associations? Genesis 1 equates the God who creates and bounds with a God who also enjoys richness. So one way we are created in the image of God is that we are capable of relating with him. But another way to understand what this might mean is that we share in exercising exercising freedom with and authority over all creation. The image of God in us is that we have been conferred power and responsibility, but it is power exercised as God's exercising our power, not might makes right, a coercive, tyrannical power as Nietzsche and nihilistic philosophers have taught. It's the creative use of power, which invites, evokes, and permits. It's to use your authority to bring about God's blessing. In short, it's love. Love is creative, and out of that love, we exercise authority, provide boundaries, so that his vision can be realized in each of us. And on this side of heaven, to be people who embody 1 Corinthians 13, to love ultimately embodied, is, is, is we can see that in the life of Jesus. Now, the striking feature of Jesus is that he did not look after his own interests, but always after the interests of others. That is an echo of God's act of creation. Creation is God's decision not to look after himself, but to focus his energies and purposes on the creation. So let's return to our original design, to be conduits of creative blessing by exercising our God-given authority to restore people so that they are rightly relating to him. 
This is why we are doing church planning. We are commissioned to use His power and responsibility entrusted to us to restore God's blessing to every college, town, and campus. And that is an amazing mission. Well, that's it. See you tomorrow. And have a great day, everyone.